gospel is not just a good explanation of the nature of God. It's the only possible one. What do I mean by that? Well, we've got to go back a little ways for me to prove my point to Genesis chapter 22. This uh, is the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac and Maybe we don't fully appreciate, if you are a Christian, you might not fully appreciate how troubling this story can be. Um, there is an atheist named Adam Lee who had this comment about it. He says that the sacrifice was not actually carried out, does not change the moral revulsion we should feel at this episode. What kind of God would demand a man prove his obedience by murdering his only son? And more so, what kind of man would obey such a command? It makes you wonder. Uh, and then he gives this challenge to believers. He says, do you believe that violence in God's name is wrong? Or do you merely believe he hasn't personally told you to do violence? If God appeared to you and spoke to you, commanding you to commit a violent act to murder a child, say, how would you respond? That's a challenging question. Um, you might want to look more into what Adam Lee calls the Abraham test. Uh, I, I think it's a good social experiment, but I, I think he doesn't quite see just how serious this story is uh, because God's not just asking Abraham to do something morally objectionable. He's asking him to basically destroy himself, uh, that this is a request for something that or demand for something that is irreplaceable. And God knows it. In Genesis 22, he says, take your son, not just your son, but your only son, Isaac, the one you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Commit violence, yes, but then dismember and burn the body. Man. That's a lot, isn't it? Uh, and what's even more troubling maybe is, is that Abraham doesn't struggle with this. He, he doesn't delay. He doesn't argue. Um, he simply gets up and he gets up early in the next morning and he goes to all of the trouble that it takes to, to perform this task. Uh, he saddles his donkey, he gathers his confederates, he chops the wood, and then he heads out a three days journey into the wilderness. This is definitely a premeditated act in, in uh, modern legal language. It can be a, a test for us, and I think it's meant to be. It's meant to test where we are with God and what we think of him. And as we'll see that it the test is something that maybe we don't understand on, on first blush, but there's more to see here. If we look down in verses 10 through 12 of Genesis 22, things actually get kind of weird. Uh, there's this messenger who appears. Uh, the word angel just means messenger. And so we see that the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And, you know, you wonder, who is this? Who is this messenger of the Lord who is calling off a sacrifice that God requires and that he demanded? Who could this be? He seems to be someone other than God and that he speaks of God in third person. Um, and yet he speaks about how this test was 
for his sake. He says, do not let your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God. So he speaks as though God is someone else. And yet he speaks as if this, this display was for his sake, his edification. Who could this be? It gets even weirder because then he speaks as though he is God. And he says, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. From who? So this is still the angel, the messenger of the Lord speaking. It's kind of a strange little section there. And yet there's meaning and there's purpose there. First thing we need to talk about is just what was being tested for. We see that in that story in, in that little vignette in verses 10 through 12, 11 and 12, really. Remember in verse 1, it says, after these things, God tested Abraham. And then the angel of the Lord says, for now I know that you fear God. What was being tested for? Well, fear. Well, it doesn't mean that Abraham was necessarily afraid of God. Uh, certainly he wasn't not afraid of him. Uh, but Notice that there's no kind of threat. There's no, if you don't offer me your son, I'm going to wipe you out and everything you have or, or anything. God doesn't even threaten to retract his blessings. He just makes this demand and Abraham complies without any sort of need for explanation or offer of, of a reward, no bribe necessary. That there's something about the very nature of God, the very presence of God, that that what God is in his just presence, in his, his existence, compelled Abraham to make this ultimate sacrifice. And that is what it means to fear God, to reverence him, to offer to him what is ultimate in recognition of the fact that he is ultimate. God isn't like us. God is of a totally different order. He's not like anything in creation. As a matter of fact, he's the only uncreated thing in all of existence. Angels, demons, seraphim, cherubim, all the planets and galaxies. Every, all of these things have one thing in common with us, and that is they're created. God's the only one who's not. He's the only one who's eternal in both directions. He is unlike us in every way. And that's why there were prohibitions against having images of God in the scripture, because nothing could properly depict him. Everything would be a mischaracterization of him and diminish him in some way because he is transcendent. And the word for transcendent in scripture really is holy. He's in a completely different category. Um, and, and because of that, his very nature, it, it is ultimate, it is supreme, and it calls for an ultimate and supreme response. And yet there's another side to this story, another side of the coin, if you will. Notice that it doesn't say the angel of or the messenger of God called to him from heaven. It says, the messenger of the Lord. Now this word Lord in, in English, it's a translation of the four letter name for God in Hebrew that we think is pronounced Yahweh. 
in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15, we can see a bit about the relationship between the word God in English and the word Lord or Elohim in Hebrew and Yahweh in Hebrew. Uh, in Exodus 3.15, at the episode of the burning bush, and Moses has been told to go and, and liberate the, the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt. And he says, uh, who should I say is sending me? And, and God says this, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Notice that Yahweh and the Lord are used differently, that God refers to his relationship with these people, that it is the worshiper-worshipped relationship. It's the creator-created relationship. And, and yet, Lord or Yahweh, this is my name forever, he says. And so when we talk about the word God in Hebrew, we're talking about God in his nature. What is God? What is he? Uh, when we talk about the, the word Lord, we're talking about him and his character, his personality. Who is he? And both of these are, are under consideration in this Genesis 22 passage, and they are interacting with one another. Now, you might say, well, it seems like you're making a lot out of the shift. I mean, uh, it might just be a literary decision, but notice in the passage, and I've highlighted for you in yellow, every instance of the word God, and in blue, every instance of the word Lord or Yahweh. Notice that they are segregated, they're separated. Why is that? And that, that there is this place where uh, they turn on one another, that there's a pivot where the angel of Yahweh talks about Abraham's fear of God, that he, he's reflecting back on his own nature. This first part, notice four mentions of the word God and then the pivot, the angel of Yahweh, now I know you fear God. And then four mentions of the word Yahweh. Do you see the symmetry? You see the division. The reason that they're separated, I believe, is because God in his personality is kind and loving, accommodating, that he is oddly and strangely a servant of humankind in a way. And, and yet, if we only think of him like that, we, we tend to despise him and we miss his majesty and his glory as God. And yet, if we only knew God that, that demands fear, how could we love him? And so these concepts have to be held together in tension, and yet they had to be kept apart or they would confound one another. And, and so in this episode, we see this interplay between God and his nature, Yahweh in his character and his love, and how will this tension be resolved? Well, Abraham, the wonderful patriarch that he is, uh, unintentionally, I think, solves the mystery. Uh, and, and that he, he comes up with it in what looks like a lie, but maybe it's a prophetic word, okay? So Isaac is saying, hey, where's the lamb? As they're going up the mountain and Abraham, you know, he thinks up a lie and he thinks it up quick like the Grinch. And, and, um, and he says that God will provide for himself. And yet, isn't that the only solution to the dilemma? <laughs> that there has to be a sacrifice made. Notice that, that Abraham was right, that there's a ram caught by its horns in a thicket, and that Abraham goes and he offers it instead of his son, that a sacrifice has to be made on that mountain. 
that they couldn't just call it off. They can just say, hey, everybody go home, that somebody's got to die up there and that a sacrifice has to be made, that God's holiness demands that. That may seem foreign to us, but I'm sorry, that's theology, man. That's the way it is. And, and so this ram has to be offered, that the sacrifice must go forth. And yet, if, if that sacrifice is demanded, if this ultimate sacrifice is demanded, then how could we ever really approach God as loving? How could we know him in that way? And so there's this promise that's made at the end of, of this section. The ram wasn't enough, right? That a son, an only son, and some random sheep that haplessly got his horns caught, they don't have anything in common, right? Uh, and yet, coming out of this narrative where the solution has been articulated, it has been identified, but it has not yet been provided because Isaac got to walk down. He got to walk away. As Abraham had said to his servants, we will go and worship and we will come back. And it turns out that was what happened. But there would come a day, and there has come a day, where on the mountain of the Lord, it, that solution that humankind has waited for, that all of creation has waited for, it has been provided. Where on that cross, God's holiness has been established and announced before all of creation and all that ever was through the offering of a son, an only son, a beloved only son. And yet it was offered without the demand for it from the ones that God loves, the, the ones that Yahweh loves, that he has provided for himself a lamb. And so the cross reveals the shape of God. <laughs>